Back by popular demand. Welcome to another exciting episode of Iron Supplements. I don't really know how uh, much popular demand <laughs> there, there was for another episode, but I will say this. I, I was at least asked to do another podcast. And I have to say that I have wrestled whether to do this particular podcast at this time. Because I kind of feel like I am pulling a George Lucas. You know, when George Lucas went to make Star Wars, he actually started with episode four. And then he did episodes five and six. And then decades later, he went back and did episodes one, two, and three. And they were totally awful. But uh, so I've wrestled. I feel like, you know, I'm wrestling with the fact that uh, this is the right time to do this particular lesson. Because it is actually lesson number three in this series and so um but uh i'm I'm compelled to do this lesson now simply for the fact that well i was asked to you know and uh i'm excited that that there are guys out there who are so excited by what they heard at an iron men meeting that they wanted to hear it again and have something that they could share with uh, people that they love, that they care about, other men that they are hoping uh, to, to get involved. And so, you know, law of supply and demand uh, says if there's, if there's a, a demand out there, then there needs to be somebody to supply that demand. And, you know, I am nothing if not economic. <laughs> After all, what is Iron Supplements all about if not about uh, kind of supplementing, again, what we do in our Iron Men ministry every Monday night at Argyle Church of Christ? And uh, so what I'm going to try to do today is kind of capture lightning in a bottle. And what I mean by that is what was shared at our Iron Men meeting, the lesson that we did uh, was so powerful. It was so uh, energizing. Uh, it, it was so enlightening. And it, it was kind of like a, a bolt of lightning for, for our spirit, you know? And the spirit was so strong there. And uh, it was just the right message at the right time for a lot of people. And because of that, uh, there, there's some real excitement building about what God is doing. And so, uh, Iron Men is really all about men growing in their relationships with God. And even though this particular episode uh, and the, the, these meetings are, are designed for men, this message is applicable to anybody. But there's just one problem, and this is what I keep wrestling with. This is not Star Wars. Like, I can't just pick up on episode three without giving at least a little bit of background about what we're uh, talking about. Uh, And so, on this episode of Iron Supplements, we're going to be talking about the process of being transformed. Okay, so I've been fixated on this idea of transformation. I truly desire in my life to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. 
I'm tired of living out the pattern of this world. And every Christian I know in their heart desires to be transformed. But unfortunately, as I talk with so many Christians, we just don't seem to be being transformed very much. Like, we're pretty much just a little different than we were before we met Christ. And we're missing out on something I think that God wants us to experience that is so much greater than what we do. A total transformation into the likeness of His Son. And so what is it that we're missing? What are the components of transformation that we haven't grasped yet? That's what this study is all about. And like I said, this is part three in a study, but I need to kind of hit on the first two. And we're starting with this idea that comes from the Apostle Paul, where he said, do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, I used to think that what that meant was I just needed more knowledge, that the transformation uh, would happen as I learned more about Jesus, then I would have this transformation in my life. And so I've I studied. And you know what? I've learned a lot. I know a lot about the Bible, and I can teach the Bible like crazy, but there was still something missing, a component missing, that I did not grasp at first about this passage. And that is that the Apostle Paul is not saying we just need more information. He is truly saying we need a new mind. Like we need to have our mind totally transformed. Like we need a renewed mind, a different mind. And he would say to the Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ. In other words, we have access by the Spirit to the mind of God. We, we have access to even the unsearchable things of God, the things that are deep within the knowledge of God. That, that, that is, We've been given access to know the deep things of God because we have the mind of Christ, and that's available to all who believe. And so what we're looking at is how do we tap into the mind of God so that our mind is transformed into His mind? And that's why we're looking at the Apostle Paul, because if ever there was a figure in history uh, who embodied transformation, it was Saul of Tarsus. And so we're looking at his life, and we're saying that if God has the ability to change Saul of Tarsus, who we will uh, really talk about the transformation that he made, if he can transform Saul, he can transform us. Because how much more so can he transform somebody who is already inclined to believe? And so Saul, Paul, gives us the hints, the clues that we need in order to experience that transformation. So there is this common misconception that the name uh, Saul of Tarsus was changed to Paul, the apostle, uh, because of the transformation, and that is just not true. Throughout Scripture, even after his conversion, uh, the names Saul and Paul are used interchangeably. And the reason is simply just because one is a Hebrew version of his name and one is a Greek version of his name. Uh, but it kind of plays out in Scripture that this man Saul is transformed into this Apostle Paul. Uh, and so I can see where the misconception comes in, because if you look at the man Saul before his transformation, 
Uh, I keep saying that this is the understatement of the century. I mean, Saul was an unlikely candidate for transformation. Like there was nobody on earth that could have changed Saul's mind about Jesus. Uh, The first mention we get in Scripture of Saul is him being the official in charge at the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And he is the man who is so high that he is the one that they lay their, their cloaks at, the ones who are actually doing the stoning. They lay their cloaks at his feet because he's the one in charge giving his permission, giving his approval for this stoning. And Paul would say of himself that he was so zealous for persecuting the church that he would get letters to take men, women, and children from foreign countries and put them in jail. He said he would even try to force people to blaspheme. And I can't help but think that an official who had this much power, probably in his life, who was living in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, probably encountered Jesus somewhere along the line. He was probably in those crowds. He was probably one of those Pharisees that the, that the Bible talks about opposing Jesus all along. He was probably there being one of the officials that was an uh, integral part of getting Jesus tried and convicted and crucified. He truly believed that he was doing God's work. And we call these people who are totally sold out for their cause, totally ingrained in their beliefs. We talk, call them today ideologues. And we see how the thought process processes of ideologues works just by looking on Facebook today. I mean, when you look at people who are given to either being a Democrat or Republican, their minds are set on those ideas. There is no talking to them. There is no convincing them that the other side is right or has anything of any value to give. And it gets really nasty because people are so sold out to their knowledge, to their ideas. And that was Saul. He was so convinced that he was right, that there was no person on earth that could have changed his mind and no person on earth did. It wasn't until he had a spiritual encounter with Jesus, where Jesus took his sight on the road to Damascus and spoke to him directly. And when he was baptized and was filled with the Spirit, it wasn't until he encountered the Spirit of God in his life on a spiritual one-to-one basis that his life began to be transformed. So I want you to grasp the implication of what I just said. Saul was zealous. Like he was sold out. He believed in what he was doing. He thought he was uh, doing the right thing for God. So zeal is not enough. Your, your zeal will never get you to God. If if you are zealous in the wrong direction, you are just all the more lost. Paul would say about uh, the the, uh, Pharisees that their zeal was not based on knowledge because they didn't know God and they sought to establish their own God, their own knowledge. They didn't submit to God's righteousness. They had their own righteousness. And so not only is zeal not enough, But knowledge is not enough. 
So think about what that means. That means that part of what may be keeping us from transformation is our own biased knowledge, our own biased belief, the things that we actually may have been taught in church may be keeping us from our own transformation because we're trying to seek God on a physical level and we're not allowing the spiritual God connection, the, the connection with the Holy Spirit for God to reveal himself through that spiritual connection. And it was only when Saul had a spiritual connection with Jesus that he began to be transformed. And so that is the very first lesson, that uh, the encounter with the Spirit is the beginning of transformation. But the encounter is not enough. There have been many people who have encountered Jesus. There have been many people who have encountered the Spirit who have turned away from that or who have shut that down in their life. And I think that that happens with us. We have periods of time where we feel really connected with the Spirit, but we then choose our own way. We choose not to engage, not to continue to engage the Spirit. We just continue to live out our life the way we want to. And so that the, the, the encounter is the first step, but it's not the final and only step. There has to be something more. And so when I look at Paul, I look at what changed his life. Well, that encounter with God did something that I think gave him a transformed view of himself. And the first thing that he realized about himself and about God was that here he was totally sold out against God, persecuting and killing God's children and having been somebody who knows the law inside and out and followed it to the letter so much so that he could say about himself as to keeping the letter of the law that he was faultless, knowing that he knew what he deserved for what he had done. And yet that he did not get what he deserved. Paul had such an understanding of the seriousness of the situation he was in when he encountered a holy and righteous God, having the understanding that he was the sinner of sinners, that he was the worst of all sinners because he persecuted the very God that he was now encountering. And when he realized what he deserved was death, he got mercy. And that changed him. He had a transformed view of grace. Like, I think Saul finally got an understanding of God's grace. And grace, the Bible says, we are saved by grace because there's nothing that we could do to earn our salvation. And that's where Saul was. He recognized what he deserved was death, but what he got was grace. And I'm telling you, his understanding of that, he said it was not without effect. 
He said he understood that he was the least of the apostles, but because of God's grace, he got more than he deserved. And he said that was not without effect. It said it caused him to work harder than all of the other apostles. He gave his life for that grace because he understood the meaning of it. And so I think that that's where the transformation goes next. After the encounter with God, we need a transformed understanding of grace. And I don't think that we have much of a transformed understanding of grace because I don't think we have a transformed understanding of the cost of our own sin. And so we'll cover that uh, in more depth, in more detail in uh, the second episode of these three, which will be the third episode that I do in this series. Uh, So how confusing is that? But we'll come back to that. So here are the first two. This is the background for the lesson that is coming up. First step is an encounter with Jesus. The second is a transformed understanding of grace. And now we're going to come into where does faith fit into this? I highly recommend that you get out your Bibles or your Bible app and turn or scroll to Romans chapter 3. And I'm going to start reading in verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So it's impossible to overstate just how transformed a thinking or a teaching this is for for Saul, for Paul, the apostle. To, to be a Pharisee and to be espousing that there is a righteousness apart from the law <laughs> is, takes a transformed mind to say those words. There's no way that a Pharisee would accept that there is a righteousness that comes apart from the law. Their righteousness was based on their adherence to the law, their strict keeping of the law, their, uh, their, their works, the things that they did. 
that's how they proclaim their righteousness, by keeping the law, everything through the works of the law. And so it would be a totally foreign and even a blasphemous concept to think that there was righteousness apart from the law. And yet Paul recognizes now in this state, in his transformed state, that all that the law can really do is convict us of sin. Like it does not bring about more righteousness, right? Just because you know what the law is does not bring make you a more righteous person. As a matter of fact, all that the law can do is show where you fall short because we all fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have missed the mark. And so, therefore, everyone is unrighteous. There is no one righteous, not one righteous person other than Jesus. And that's why only Jesus could be the sacrifice for our sins. Only Jesus could atone for our sins. Only Jesus could be the stand between God and us because he was the only righteous person. And so because we are unrighteous, all that the law can do is separate us from God. It cannot bring us closer to God. And so there needs to be a new kind of righteousness, a new uh, approach to God that is Apart from the law, we have to have an access to God that doesn't come through the law. And Paul says that that access to righteousness comes through God's gift to us, his gift of his son, the sacrifice that was made. And so how we are saved is by grace. And yet, and then verse 28, he says that we are also justified by faith. So are we justified by grace or faith? Verse uh, 24 says we're justified by grace. Verse 28 says we're justified by faith. And the way I, the way I reason this out is if, if what we are saved by, the grace is the what. <laughs> it's the what we are saved by. And faith is the how. In other words, if grace is the destination, faith is the vehicle that takes us there. Or if grace is the thing, uh, faith is is what uh, is the utensil that helps us grasp on to the thing, right? And so we are saved by grace through faith. Okay, so it all comes down to this. This is that moment where we try to capture lightning in a bottle. This is that aha moment where it should all come together. Because you see what Paul is really saying here is going to sound pretty similar to what James, the brother of Jesus, would say. But they're just coming at it at different directions. You see, what Paul is saying here is that works without faith is dead. And James would go, no, no, no. What, I, I think what you meant to say, Paul, was, you know, uh, faith without works is dead. And to be honest with you, if you, if you look at it, you understand that they're, what, they're, they're coming to the same point. They're just coming at it at different directions. What they both recognize is that there is something between works and faith. There is a relationship there. Uh, like Paul is saying, look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter 
how you go about it. Like, like if, you're, if you're relying on just your works, if you are trying to live out your own self-righteousness, it doesn't matter what good works you do. Uh, like, if, if, there's, if there's no relationship with God, uh, if all you have is your works, you're, you know, and you, you don't really uh, have any relationship with God, then what good are all your works? And James looks at it and goes, well, yeah, but, you know, what good does it to have a relationship with God, to have faith, to say that you believe in God, but it doesn't do anything in your life. It doesn't really change you. I mean, what kind of a, a faith is that? Is that really a faith that can save you? And so they're both coming at it from different directions, but what they're saying is the same thing. You see, what is it? What kind of faith is it that, that saves us? What kind of a, a faith is it that transforms us? And do you hear what they're saying? I think that we have we've bought into this idea that faith is a belief in something. Like we believe in God, and so we have access to His grace. Well, so what if you have belief in God? I mean, there are all kinds of people in this world that believe in God and have no relationship to Him. They, you know, they don't really their their actions certainly don't show that they have any relationship to Him at all. I mean, they they say they believe, but who could ever tell? And you know what? Even the demons, even the demons believe in Jesus. They've seen him face to face. They know what kind of a God he is, right? Even the demons believe in God and shudder, but they have no relationship with him. They have no faith in him. And so what we're saying is the, the faith that, that saves, the faith that transforms is a relationship. And that makes all the sense in the world. I think about it, and I think about it in terms of a relationship. What is the deepest relationship that I have, other than my relationship with God, would be my relationship with my wife. And because I have a relationship with my wife, I really want to get to know her. Like, I want to know the mind of my wife. Trust me. It would help out a lot if I could if I could know the mind of my wife, and so I spent uh, thirty plus years in a relationship with her, trying to to pick her mind, trying to understand her, trying to get closer to her. And what kind of relationship with I would I have with my wife if I never spoke to her? <laughs> what kind of relationship would I have with my wife if we never spent time together? What kind of relationship can you have with a person who you ignore? What kind of a relationship do you have with a person who, who you have nothing in common with? Can you imagine that it, it, me going out and having uh, a, an affair with a hundred other women? Should I expect that I would stay in a relationship with my wife? No, my actions don't show that I have any relationship to my wife. It shows that I'm divorced from this relationship. Even though I'm still in it, I'm not acting as if I have any relationship to her. And how could I expect us to have an intimate, loving, close relationship if I'm not investing my time, my energy, sacrificing my wants and my desires so that we can come closer together? What kind of a relationship would I have if I wasn't trying to get to know her mind? What kind of a relationship would I have with her if I didn't care what her hopes and her dreams were? 
Well, it's the same with our relationship with Jesus. I think that, that sometimes we think that because we believe in Jesus, we have some kind of relationship and some kind of access to that grace. Well, what kind of relationship could we expect to have? How much transformation could we expect to have in our life if we never spend time getting to know the person that we're trying to have the relationship with? How much transformation can you expect from God if you never listen to what He has in store for your life? What, what, kind, what kind of... Uh, what, what should you expect? What kind of access to him should you expect if you, if, if you are out listening to the same things that the, if you're filling your mind with the same kind of things that the world fills their mind with? How can we expect to have this transformational access to the Holy Spirit of God? How can we expect to have any connection with a perfect and pure and holy God if we don't come to Him through faith? What kind of access do we think that we deserve to have to that grace that He's is extending to us if we don't care anything about Him, if we don't show that we care anything about Him through our actions? <laughs> how, could, how could I possibly expect to get to know my wife if I never spoke to her? God is ready to pour out His blessings. It's there. The gift of grace is there. Like He has so much uh, love to give. He has so many blessings to pour out upon you. He has so many good things that He has planned for for you to do. He has a a purpose for your life. He he has it all spelled out. He has it all worked out in advance. He he thought about it long before you were even born. And it's all right there and you have access to it. But how could you expect to access it any other way than through your faith relationship with him? Do you think he's just going to give it to you while you're out sleeping around with the world? I... (laughs) It's no wonder that the world doesn't see Jesus in us. We listen to the same music. We watch the same movies. We listen to the same smutty jokes. We share the same lies on Facebook. You can't tell. Well, I mean, I can't tell the difference between the people I know that are Christians on Facebook than the people I know who are not Christians on Facebook. Their posts look identical to me. So how in the world is the, is the world supposed to see God? Because they can only see God in us. They can only see Jesus through us. How in the world do we expect the church to be a powerful force in this world? How do we expect the kingdom of God to grow if they look at us and they say, well, you're no different than us. And how can we expect to be any different than them if we're not allowing ourselves access to the transformational power of God through the Holy Spirit, through our relationship of faith? We should expect nothing. We ex- there, there's no way. Do you, do you understand the cost of grace? Do you understand what you, what you should expect from God? Do you understand the cost of your sin? The cost of your sin is separation from God. It's it's separation from access from all those blessings. 
It, it, it's it's separation from knowing him. He said he said to the, the the sheep and the goats, right? He said, "Depart from me, because I never knew you. I don't have a relationship with you. How can you claim access to grace if you have no relationship with God? And how can you have a relationship with God if you're not spending any time with Him, folks? If this is not the aha moment." If this is not the lightning bolt in your life to, 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 for you to understand that relationships take time. Relationships take sacrifice. Relationships take energy. Like You can't expect to have a relationship with God and for Him to just pour out all of His gifts and His blessings on you if you're not willing to give the world up. You can't expect to grow close to him if you are so into your own agenda that you don't give in to his. God is ready to pour out all these blessings. But what we do is we say all the time to God through our actions that I actually have more faith in what I see in this world than I have faith in you, God. And what we're actually saying is, I would rather spend my time doing the things of this world than I would in having you transform me into the likeness of your son. Because we spend all of our time in relationship with the world. And we spend hardly any time in our relationship God and we are missing out on the blessings of grace because of it and when we miss out on the message of grace that means that this lost world has no hope because the only entity that Jesus has left on this earth to reach the world is his church and if the church has no faith if the church has no relationship with God and if the church doesn't look any different from the world then this world has no hope I pray I was able to capture just the spirit of this message. It was so powerful in our men's Bible study, our Ironman group, because this message was shared in relationship to each other. And when I'm asked about, you know, what is Ironman all about? Well, first I, I say that Ironman is uh, not denominational. And you may think I've said that wrong. You may think, I mean, it's non-denominational. And that's not at all what I mean. I mean, non-denominational just sounds like a church that uh, is not a denomination. And, and that's not at all what I mean. I mean, I mean that we are truly not denominational. We are not affiliated with any church or denomination. I mean, we, had, we, we meet at Argyle Church of Christ every Monday at 7 o'clock. But that doesn't make us any more Church of Christers than 
when we met at Village Bread uh, made us, you know, village people, you know. So we're not affiliated with any other church, and because of that, we are free to be Christians only. We're free to be just, just men who want a closer relationship with God. We're free to put transformation ahead of ideology. We're free to put our relationships ahead of, of some kind of sacrament. And because of that, we're able to experience together transformation. And if you are a guy uh, who desires a closer relationship with guy uh, with God I have to encourage you to to join Iron Man because let me tell you it is what every male heart desires it is connection with uh, men godly men it is a relationship that you can have with other godly men who eagerly desire to help each other grow in their relationship with God and to be transformed. Now let's face it, if we're going to, to uh, experience those kinds of relationships that we want with God, we're really going to do that only through our relationships with other godly people. And that's why our time together is so valuable. So I encourage you to, uh, to join us I encourage you, if you have found blessing in this message, to share it with others, uh, and hopefully it will be a blessing to them as well. Thank you, brothers. I'll see you next Monday at 7 o'clock at Argyle Church of Christ for another session of Iron Man.